This is Shifting Our Schools episode 133, Feedback That Matters with Tyler Rablin. Listen up, educators. Are you looking to take your classroom to the next level? The technological shift in education is happening right now. If you're looking to integrate technology into your classroom, you're in the right place. Welcome to Shifting Our Schools with your host, Jeff Udick. Well, welcome back to another episode of Shifting Our Schools. Thank you for tuning in this week, wherever you might be. I'm so excited that school is back in session for most of our schools here in the state of Washington. Uh, we still got a couple school districts that will be starting either next week or even the week after. Some school districts have pushed back the start of school a week to give teachers a little more time uh, to do some professional development. The majority of our schools here in the state of Washington are opening completely online. And it's been an interesting week as we've started to get feedback from some of those school districts as they have started to engage with students and engage with families. And here's the feedback we're getting, and none of it's going to be, I think, shocking to anyone. Uh, Community matters. You know, how are we supporting parents? What kind of things are we doing that are supporting parents in our school districts? Are you as a teacher, are you creating a video to introduce yourself to the parents just like you might be doing for the students? Now we know, we know that instructional videos are going to be the way that we deliver the majority of our content because they are research-based. We need to keep kids off Zoom. We need to keep teachers off Zoom so we can do the work of learning. The work of learning doesn't happen during a Zoom meeting. And so we need to make sure we can support parents. And one of those ways you can do that is if you make videos for your parents, either introducing yourself or even creating a video for parents just saying, hey, this is what's coming up this week. This is what's coming up you know, in this unit parents start to understand and see the power of video. And we are supporting kids and supporting our approach in this. That's number one. Number two, we've got to simplify our delivery. We've got to stay true to your core four, find the tools that app and stay consistent within those. I'm already getting, you know, a week into school, I'm already getting emails from school districts who want to use other programs. And Not yet. It's the first week of school. We don't even know what your LMS is, right? Like go deep into Google Classroom or Schoology or Microsoft Teams, whatever it is. Spend time in there with your students getting to know how to use that program and how to use it really well. I think that is going to be critical. The other feedback we're getting is pathways work. We've got to create these highly structured pathways for students to go through. I love using Google Slides and PowerPoint to create these pathways because the structure is right there. It's slide one, slide two, slide three. Teachers, your instructional videos are embedded right in the slide the moment the kids need it. That is what good learning looks like in a distance learning. And we are already hearing from kids and families and teachers that they are working Spend some time in understanding how to create great pathways, how to use wayfinding for students so they can find their way around the material. We need to slow this down for all of us, and we need to focus on what good instruction looks like in 2020 and beyond. Now, if you're interested in joining us around this idea of creating pathways, creating instruction that works. We are starting another round of trainings the week of September 21st. We will be uh, doing a Shifting Schools 2.0 training and a Shifting Schools 3.0 training for those of you who have already completed the 2.0 training. Uh, 
The 2.0 training has eight modules. We'll be meeting once a week on a Zoom, but really it's all about the modules of how do you create these pathways? What is wayfinding? What does assessment and feedback look like? What if we design learning in inquiry cycles? All of these opportunities that we have to look deeply at what is best practice in 2020 and beyond. And then Shifting Schools 3.0 is going to be focused on building stuff. We're going to come together for 90 minutes every other week where we're going to build something together for you to take back and do with your students. And then we'll come back in a, two weeks from then. We will reflect what worked, what didn't work, what feedback did you get from your students, and we're going to create something to take back into your classroom. We are here to support you through this entire school year. As we know, no matter where you are, I'm pretty sure it's not a regular school year for any of us at this point. But that brings me to today's episode, which is a recording of our free webinar series over at Shifting Schools. If you'd like to join us live for the discussion, we'd love to have you. You can sign up at shiftingschools.com. Follow us on Twitter. You can either follow my account at jayudic, or you follow at Shifting Schools, or if you're in the state of Washington, you can follow at reimaginewaed, and you can join us live uh, for and continue to listen, right? Like it's, it's, it's awesome. Like if you're there live, you're going to hear it in the webinar and you've been listening to our podcast for a while. Thank you for that. You'll notice that we talk a lot about what's happening in the chat rooms and it's such a great place that we get to come together for a community. But of course, if you want to, you can continue listening to the recordings here as a podcast as well. Uh, we will continue to deliver these as a podcast, as a video. You'll find the video version of the webinar along with the slide deck over at shiftingschools.com's website. And of course, I'll be posting the slide deck in the show notes of this podcast over at sospodcast.org. So enjoy this incredible webinar once again with Tyler Rablin, who is a mentor to me in so many different ways. His passion around feedback that matters for kids comes through in this webinar. And I really, you know, this might be one you need to listen to a couple times. I know I need to listen to it a couple times to just grasp the ideas of how can we give students meaningful feedback. And it works. It works in a distant sense, right? Meaningful feedback matters everywhere. It matters to learning. And we can't forget that. Enjoy this incredible episode with the incredible Tyler Rablin. And until next time, I'll see you on the network. All right, everyone. Well, thank you for being here. And I, and I, I truly mean that. I'm going to actually, I'm just going to skip to my next slide because that's the first thing that I want to tell you. Um, this is, this is quite the week. I don't know if it's like my week. We start with students tomorrow. And the fact that you are here with the million other things that you have going on, uh, I really appreciate it. it, it you know, I have been, had I have so much respect for all the teachers I've gotten to work with in the state of Washington and beyond. You have done incredible things for kids, you know, and, and there are going to be some things that I say today that I'll push hard on some things because I think when it comes to assessment and feedback, there are times that we do need to be pushed hard. But please don't lose this message that I am in awe of what you do every single day for students. It truly is amazing. And uh, if you've been in my cohorts, I think most of my cohorts have seen me like tear up just talking about how amazed I am by teachers. It probably won't happen today. I'll keep my fingers crossed. It doesn't happen today, but I just, I, I feel like I have to start by saying thank you. Um, you have done incredible things and I know you've got some incredibly lucky students heading your way because they have you for a teacher. So thank you for being here. 
just quickly, the title of it is Feedback That Matters. And I, I, I titled it that way because I think so often one of the hardest parts about feedback is when you spend hours and hours and hours giving feedback to students only to see the same mistakes happen again, right? To see that none of that resulted in learning and it just ends up being frustrating. And so for me, that is really my focus. When I'm talking about feedback, does it matter? Right? Does it really matter for students and how can we do that? And so a lot of what we'll do today, we're gonna to take a little time to talk about some brain research and what we know about how the brain learns because we have to match our feedback to that. So that's where we're heading today. A quick intro from me. So my name is Tyler Adlin. I am in Sunnyside, Washington. I am first and foremost a teacher. So I still have my one class period of English 9 that I get to teach. I'm so excited to see, meet my students this year. Although I always, if you teach freshmen, you get this. Like I always remember my freshmen in the spring and like what they're like then. And then every fall I have to sit there and be like, what is going on, right? Like I, I forget that they have a lot of growing to do at the beginning of, of the year. So I'm excited to get to meet them again. So that's my morning. I then spend the rest of my day as an instructional tech coach, which for me, both in that teacher role and the coach role, my goal is to open doors, right? Whatever it is, my goal is that I'm opening doors and providing opportunities for people to do incredible things. Because for me, what I found is when you tell people what to do, they'll do it. But when you open doors for people is when incredible things really happen. And so for me, that's going to be my focus today is I'm going, to, I'm going to show you some doors that are open for feedback and I'm excited to see where you go with that. Aside from that, I get the opportunity to work with Reimagine Law and Jeff and the team to do our best to support teachers however we can. And then a lot of my writing I do through Teacher Totter. If you go there, you'll see a ton on assessment. That's probably the topic I write about most. So I'm excited to get started today. And here's the... the our goals. So I want you to kind of expect what to walk away with. So my goal is that you walk away with an understanding of how our assessment systems determine whether or not feedback matters. Right? The bigger picture of how we grade students and how we talk about grading is, is really the, the hinge point as to whether or not our feedback is going to actually make a difference. I want you to walk away with an understanding of what feedback that matters is and what it isn't. Right? We're going to look at some of the research behind what we know about how the brain learns and we're going to talk about what makes feedback effective and good. And then the last piece, I want you to walk away with strategies for providing feedback that matters quickly. Right? I don't want to give you these things that are going to take hours and hours for you to develop because school starts soon and we all don't have enough time in the day. So I want to give you some quick strategies that you can use with students to give them feedback that results in deep, meaningful learning. To do that, here's, how, here's the structure for today. We're gonna to start by looking at assessment systems. Now I'm really gonna to try to keep that part short because I already talked for 60 minutes about assessment and grading in general, but there are some key pieces we have to start talking about with assessment systems before we can really get to feedback. Then we're gonna talk about our feedback system. And I'll go into depth about that a little bit more, but so often we think about feedback in isolated bursts, but it's only meaningful when there's a system that we use to process it all and make meaning. Then we'll dig into some research and talk about the methods, right? How to, now that we know the research, what are the methods we use to provide feedback? And lastly, hopefully we'll have plenty of time for Q&A at the end because I know when it comes to feedback and assessment, there's always questions, but especially when we're talking about remote learning. So before we jump into assessment, I feel like I have to like prepare you 
a lot of times when I talk about assessment, I get really passionate. And at some points I find myself just yelling. And I think a lot of people view me during assessment, like the front of this uh, Splash Mountain picture. So in case I got it, so that's me. Uh, and, and in case you need it a little close, that's how I feel about assessment. But I think a lot of times when I start talking, I'm going to back out. That's too close. When I start talking about assessment, this is how a lot of people feel. So I will try to keep it short and really just hit on two main things. And here's what I want to, here's where we're going to start. And I said it before, but your feedback is only as good as the assessment system in which it exists, right? If we have harmful grading and assessment practices, things that don't allow students to view growth as a positive thing or see the value in the long-term learning process, then they're not going to pay attention to the feedback because why would they? And so when we talk about our assessment systems, I really view it as there are two key components that we have to make sure exist in our assessment system. And the first one is that it has to focus on the learning, not the tasks. If your gradebook is organized by tasks, when you give feedback on a task, that's all they care about. They want to know how do I go back and do that assignment better, right? That's the conversation we have. If the if our gradebook emphasizes tasks, the conversation we have about feedback is on tasks. And for me, with leaving feedback, I don't care about the the product of their learning. I care about their learning, right? And so I don't want to have conversations about well, your margins were wrong, or whatever, right? Like if that's what the feedback's about, that's not a conversation that's going to result in long-term learning. So our grading system, our assessment system has to be focused on learning, not tasks. And I'll show you a picture of that in a second. But the second thing is that it has to celebrate growth over time. I don't just mean record it. I mean, it has to actually celebrate that growth. And by that, I mean, we're not penalizing students for what happened at the beginning. Right, if, you, if we are truly celebrating growth, then we shouldn't say, yeah, well, your first assignment averaged out to this. We should be saying you grew and you're, that is valuable and that's what matters that you learned. it. So here's, here's how I wanna illustrate this. I know we're talking about big pictures and it's helpful to see it kind of in a concrete form. We're gonna have a little fun with this. So in a second, you're gonna see two different examples of grade, grade books pop up on the screen. And here's what I'll ask you to write in the chat. I just want you to notice things and think about why it matters, right? So you're gonna have two different examples of a grade book. And in the chat, I just want you to put, what do you notice and maybe why does it matter? So here are those two, and I'm gonna open the chat so that I can actually see it for this. But I wanna give you a second to look at these two examples of grade books and just in the chat, put what do you notice and why does it matter? I see some things coming in. Someone's noticed. I try to avoid using the term standards-based grading because people run when I say it. <laughs> so I just say a grading that's focused on learning. Uh, and that's how I get around the yeah, differences between the grading scales. You've got zeros. The bottom one shows targets. Ah, I love Amanda wrote, it shows that the kid is now getting it, right? That's my favorite thing. Whatever the grade system looks like, I love being able to sit down with a student and be like, you got it, right? Like you, you started, you were struggling so much at the beginning and then you learned and you learned and you learned and you nailed it. And that's the grade that I'm going to give you, right? Because to me, I want them to learn it. If they learned it, they get, they get that is recorded, right? Their learning is recorded. 
So a couple of things, when I mentioned this idea of focusing on the learning, right? Focusing on the standard, you'll notice this one, it's organized. The primary organization of the gradebook is by the learning, right? Analyzing central, central ideas. As an ELA teacher, we do that all the time. And I think a lot of teachers do that all the time. But for me, that's one of the first things we hit. And so that's the important part. I organize the data based on the learning I want students to do. So that helps me see the trends, right? That helps me see things. But it also, it helps me see the growth. And this is what I, I feel like a lot of people have noticed is, you know, up here, the, this is the part that crushes me. Look at student E. And this happens so often in our grade books, right? 85, 80, 83, 80, they missed two assignments and they failed, right? D does that student not get it? Right? Does that, is, is that a student who didn't learn? No, but in a lot of our grading systems, that student fails. Right? That, those zeros define that student more than the learning they did. Right? And that, for me, that's a tough pill to swallow and one that a message I don't want to send to students because who knows why those zeros are there? Right? Who knows the story behind those zeros? But if I'm looking here, I know the story of the student learning. The other reason I love organizing it by the learning, not by the task, is when I'm looking for trends in this, I have no idea what trends I'm looking for, right? I, I, this, this doesn't give, this gives me data, but not information. And I think that's gotta be a key thing that we're thinking about is, are we just recording data or are we pulling meaning out of it? And so for me, when we're talking about assessment systems, that's gotta be a big piece that we have these two factors. And there's a million other things we could talk about with grading and assessment. Um, and if there are questions at the end, we can. But for the sake of feedback, the two things that matter most in how we set up our assessment systems is that it's organized by learning goals. It has to be organized that way. And it allows room for growth. Because if you're giving me feedback and it's not gonna, there's nothing I can do with it, I can't grow with it, then of course I'm gonna ignore it. Right? So what message do we send with our gradebook about the value of growth and the value the feedback plays in that? So a, a couple of other things. So why, like, why does this matter? I know it just sounds like we're talking like, here's how to set up a spreadsheet, but I think it gets to a deeper purpose. And that is that it helps students connect to a purpose, right? If they view isolated tasks as what they're working on, then they're gonna lose that motivation pretty quickly. This is from, if you've read Daniel Pink's work around intrinsic motivation, right? These, the two things on this screen are two of his three big things. Right? We have to understand that what we're working on has a purpose bigger than the task itself. I, lo I love this idea that there's a great phrase and I can't remember where it's from, but it talks about if you want people to build a ship, don't set them about the task of collecting wood. Teach them to long for the sea. And what that means is if we're not painting a vision of where you could go, of what we're working towards, then we're not going to do the tasks. We're not going to engage in feedback because it, it just feels meaningless. So are we building towards a bigger picture? And that's why I organize it by the learning objectives, the learning goals, the standards, whatever we wanna call them. And the other piece that we know is so crucial to intrinsic motivation is mastery. The ability to pursue mastery without penalty for mistakes. And I, the, the piece that drives this home, I'm gonna tell a story about a student I had from a while ago now but I had just started playing with these ideas of assessment and mastery and letting, letting students, you know, like work on something till they perfect it. And I had this class, it was an English 11 class and Daniel was in there. 
and the school wasn't his thing, right? Like he just, he just wasn't into it, right? It, it wasn't working for him. He didn't really enjoy it. And one day I had this, this silly, I, I shouldn't say silly. It was profound for Daniel, but I had this activity that seemed silly for me where I made a Google form and they could take it as many times as they wanted. And it, at the end, they got a badge that was emailed to them. It was about theme. It just said theme master, right? That's all it said, theme master. It was this little icon I made, not even super well designed, but students knew if they got 100% on this Google form, they would get that badge mailed to them. And Daniel was normally hard to engage in class, right? Like he just, he wasn't super into it. He didn't enjoy the class very much. And then on this assignment, I sat and I watched as student after student finished, right? They, they, they got 100%, they got their badge, they smiled, they moved on. And class kept going on and on. And I noticed Daniel was still working on his Chromebook. And the bell rings and Daniel's still working on his Chromebook. And I walked over and, and I said, like, hey, Daniel, class is over. And he was like, I'm, I'm so close to getting the badge. I'm so close to getting it perfect. I almost got 100%. And, and I, I told him, I said, listen, you can work on this as long as you want, but I have a question for you. I said, why are you working so hard on this? Right? Like, it wasn't even for points. It was just for a badge. It was for if you could get 100%. And he, he told me something that sticks with me today. He said, very rarely do I get a chance to do something perfectly. Right? This is a kid for whom school was a place where he normally got negative feedback. He normally was told, these are your deficiencies. And yet, because this was set up for mastery, because it celebrated growth, he was able to see, I can, I can do this, right? Like, I can get 100%. And for me, it's so important that we're sending students that message, not just because it makes feedback matter, but because it matters for students that someone is telling them, I believe in you so much that I want you to get 100%, right? I want you to ace this. I want you to perfect this. And so that, you know, I know this just looks like a spreadsheet, but I want you to think about it in that sense, right? What message are we sending to students with our assessment system? Are we sending, are we sending messages to students that complete the task, do your work, and you'll get a good grade? Or are we sending messages to students that, I? You're learning and I want you to grow because our grade book communicates a large chunk of that. So, okay, my goal was to stay under 15 minutes talking about assessment, which I was really worried. I was just going to keep going, but I hope those two things really stick with you, right? That idea that our, is our assessment system organized by the learning, right? Is it emphasizing the learning over the tasks and is there room for growth? Are we really celebrating growth in how we are grading and assessing students? And if we can do that, those two things I have found make feedback so much more meaningful. So we talked about your assessment system. And this is the part that I, once we have our assessment system, too often we forget to think about the fact that we also need a feedback system. And by that, I mean, which some of you might be looking like this, right? like I've never heard of a feedback system. I hadn't either for a while. But what I mean by that is how do students organize their feedback to make meaning out of it? Think about how much feedback we give to students and it comes from all over and it's on isolated assignments. And it's really hard for students to be able to process that much information and result in learning, right? It's just these isolated shotgun blasts of feedback. And what do we do with it? 
And so the question is, how do we help students take all of this feedback and make meaning out of it? To look for trends and patterns so that they can actually celebrate that growth. And I'm gonna give you uh, just the most basic examples I can think of. This is one of the learning portfolios I used with my students. They would get this assigned to them at the beginning of the term and every time they got an assignment with feedback, they would record their assignment and they would record the feedback and analyze it to figure out what they learned. Right? It, it can be as simple as that, but now think about, instead of isolated assignments, students are able, if you, in this column, they're able to see the feedback they got over time. And one of my favorite, I love doing this with students because what inevitably happens is, and I'm gonna show you a different one that's gonna highlight this a little bit more. So here's another example. Here's the one I wanna talk about. There's two columns, right? There's glows and grows. For me, I use that, this, the glows are like, what are you doing well? Grows are where are the areas we need to keep growing, right? Where are the areas we're learning? And my favorite thing with this one is so often the stuff students record in grows down here, right? Like their first few assignments, you'll see it slowly start moving over to the glows, the things that they get to celebrate. And if we didn't have a system where they could organize that learning, that celebration would be lost, right? They would forget to see all of the different the, the different feedback they got and the ways that they took that feedback and turned it into learning. So these are kind of, um, if I were to say like level one, right? Like this is kind of the level one, just generic, record your feedback, make meaning of it. The one that I use with my students now is something like this. So with this, they summarize their feedback based on the learning they're doing. So if, Target one is I can support a claim with evidence and analysis. Anytime they get feedback that connects to this, right? Anytime they get feedback that connects to this target, they start organizing it by patterns, right? They're evaluating their feedback and then deciding which target it fits into so that they're being super specific about how they are processing the information they get. Right? And, and, and this ends up, it's a simple routine. It's something that students know every time you get feedback, you go to this document and re record it. And in a little bit, we're going to talk about the brain science behind why this matters so much in terms of encoding information into long-term memory. But really, the idea is, are students recording it so that they can see it all in one space? So as you're planning, right, as you're thinking about this year and how you're going to set something up, ask yourself this question. What is my system that I can use to help students find meaning in the feedback I give them? How am I having them record their feedback all together so that they can process it, find trends, evaluate it, and really turn it into learning? So we have our assessment system. We have our feedback system. And we're gonna take a little pause for research. So here's what I will say, a lot of you like, when we talk research or when you dig into research, you feel like this by the end, you're like, I hated it, but I survived it. I will try to keep it short, but there are some important things that we need to hit regarding the brain research that leads into meaningful feedback. And, and to illustrate this, I wanna start by talking about this thing that we use all the time, right? You, the compliment sandwich. This idea that you do a positive, you do some criticism, and then you do a positive, right? Like that's how we're taught to leave feedback. That's, except, when you look at the research, it's a little bit concerning. 
it builds negative associations with praise because students start to think as soon as I hear praise, something bad is coming after. This idea of it downplays the value of the constructive criticism because it, it's sandwiched between two things, right? There's a, a compliment, criticism, compliment. And if you ask, I'm a middle child, if you ask any middle child what happens when you're sandwiched between other things, you get forgotten, right? And that's what happens with our criticism. Kids hear like compliment, Charlie Brown teacher, compliment. That's it, right? And so that, that constructive criticism that is the piece that's gonna result in the learning is lost. And this is the one that hurts me the most when I think about what happens when we give compliment sandwiches is it, erode, it, it can erode trust because of the inauthenticity that's associated with it. It starts to feel like a game. It starts to feel like we're manipulating people, right? And that's not how I wanna build relationships. The other thing behind it is the benefit is mostly to the person delivering it because we don't have to feel bad, right? It's not necessarily shown to make any significant change in how the learning happens. It's been shown to help the person delivering it feel better about what they're doing. So, and, and it's not just the compliment sandwich. They found in 131 studies, a third of the feedback we give to students actually hurts learning, right? Think about that. We spend so much time giving feedback and to think about the fact that a third of the learning a third of that time we're spending giving feedback to students, if we're not doing it right, is hurting their motivation and hurting their, their willingness to engage in learning. And so for me, like you, we all have too much on our plates. We have too much on our plates to be wasting time on bad feedback. And, and to talk about bad feedback, right? English teacher here, these are the essays that I used to give back where by the time the student got it, it was like dripping with red ink. And I had, I had marked all their papers, right? Like I, if it wasn't covered in red, I wasn't doing my job. I was their editor, not necessarily their teacher. And it, almost everything I handed back looked like this, where it's just markings all over the entire page. And so here's what I wanna do before we do too much more. This is always fun. I wanna give you a second to jump into the chat and identify what are the characteristics of bad feedback? Right? Feel, have, feel free to have fun with it. But what are, what are things that we know result in bad feedback? Yeah, vague. That's a huge one, right? Unclear, not specific, generic, insincere. Oh, yeah, I've been guilty. Covers too much. Oh, my gosh. Yep. Uh, timing, late feedback right? And we're going to talk about how the brain works and how quickly feedback needs to be applied. <laughs> Overly nice without anything meaty. I'm loving seeing some of these come in. Overly mean without reason. <laughs> yep, yep, definitely. And I think you know, if you're like me and you've got a giant stack of papers at some point, I have to take a break and step away because by like hour three of leaving feedback, I start to get to the over, like what was it unnecessarily mean? So I got to take a break and step away sometimes. Good, so, so here's the part that's interesting is a lot of times we know what bad feedback looks like. But the part that's weird to me, and this is from a study, it'll be linked at the end, there's a study that looked at the mismatches between feedback practices and what we know. 
right? We know that selective marking is preferred, but we mark all of them, right? We know that we, a lot of times we, we say, here's the error, but we know that it's probably better to let students find the error, right? We know that <laughs> the error codes, I remember getting, I still remember as a middle school boy, getting a comment on my, my essay that said F-R-A-G, frag. And as a middle school boy, the only thing I thought about for the rest of that was a grenade. That's all I care. I thought it was a grenade. I, I didn't know how that was a part of my paper, but I didn't know it was a fragment. Right? I, and I'm not going to go through all these, but we know what bad fad feedback looks like, but so often we continue to do it because, and this is the piece that I've had to grapple with, it's what we know. Right? It's what we're comfortable with. It's how we grew up getting feedback. And for a lot of us, a lot of us who go into education, not everyone, school worked well for us, right? We did fine in school, so why would we change it? But I think we always have to continue to question and look at the research, and that's what's really prompted me to do a lot of questioning about my feedback. So let's just really quickly talk about what meaningful feedback isn't. And I saw a lot of these come in. This might rub people the wrong way. It's not a letter grade. Right. And if I won't go into it now, but the feedback or the research behind letter grades is horrifying. It demotivates students. It actually hinders learning. Right. It, it, it's not great for kids. So if the only feedback we're giving students is a letter grade, it's not working. Oh, that wasn't supposed to come in yet, but I promise if you feel like this, I'll give you an answer in a second as to what it actually is. Right. But we know numerous comments doesn't work. The bleeding red paper doesn't work. If it decreases motivation to learn, it's not working. And I saw this come up probably most often. If it's unclear, it's not working. And if it's too late, it's not working. Right? And so some of you are probably feeling a little bit overwhelmed and you're just asking like, all you've told me is what not to do. Like, will you give me something that is helpful? And yes. So, so let's get into that, right? Like what does, feedback that matters, what does it look like? And here's the first thing that so many of you caught. It has to be limited. This idea that three well thought out comments per essay is, is about what we can expect students to act on. Three, that's it, three, no more than that. Anything, I, I always say anything above three is just a slap in the face. If it's not gonna result in learning, then pointing out the mistakes, all we're doing is saying, here's what you did wrong, not here's where you need to go. Right? And so we have to limit it to, to just trends, right? And that's the piece that I really think is so important is for me, I'm not going to mark every error. I'm going to go through and look for the trends in the error and tell the student, this is where you need to focus on. This is where you're going to go from here, right? You're struggling with comma splices. That's what you need to work with. And the idea, the, the reason that they say three is because it, Miller's law is the amount of, it's the amount that we can take from our working memory and encode into long-term memory. And we can't handle more than seven plus or minus two pieces of information in our working memory at one time. Right? And, and if so, if we're, and that's the maximum we can process. And so if we're throwing a ton of stuff at students, their brain literally can't process that much information. And so we have to scale it back, right? The fewer we can give, the better. And so really, when you're leaving feedback on work, on a project, don't mark all the errors. Find the trends and record that for the student, right? Find the trend and make that the comment you give to students. The other piece that I think is so important is how long 
like how quickly students are going to forget that feedback. And this idea that it, in uh, working memory can really only hold information for 10 to 20 minutes. Meaning if we are giving feedback to students and then two weeks later expecting them to use it without giving them anything to process it, to record it, to interact with it, it's not going to stick. Right? Our brains are really, really efficient. And it backfires because if I see a piece of information and I don't have to use it, which is often what feedback does, my brain's like, not important, I forget it. Right? And so how are we giving students a way to record and process that feedback as quickly as we can? And, and we talked about that a little bit, but that's what I was looking at with your feedback system. Have them record it right away because their brain is going to forget it. And not for any fault of the student, but because that's how our brains work. So this idea, record it, and if possible, can students use it and engage in it immediately? And one of the, actually a couple of the strategies I'll give you at the end, help to ensure that students are engaging and using that feedback right away. And this is, you know, when we talked about that system, that's what it's for. It's because their brain's going to forget it. So how are we helping them record it? Another piece that we need to be thinking about is what are we giving feedback on, right? If we're only giving three pieces of feedback to students, how do we decide what that's going to be about? And it has to be connected to the learning goals, right? It has to be because if it's not, then students aren't going to see how it's building towards something bigger. It's just going to be seen as something that's isolated, something that's all on its own and for students to be willing and motivated enough to engage in it. They have to see what it's building towards and what it's connected to. And so here's what I would say. A lot of times we're good about doing this with teacher directed goals, right? We're really good about saying, this is what I want you to learn. This is the feedback I'm giving you. But the next step to be thinking about is what about the students goals? Are we giving students a place where they can say, this is what I'm struggling with. This is what I want help on. Can you give me some feedback? Because that means it's personal for the student. It means they have had some element of autonomy, which is, Daniel Pink's third intrinsic motivation piece, autonomy, the ability to control things. They've had a chance to say, this is what I want to learn. And now that's my favorite way to approach feedback because I'm not, now it's not something where I'm condemning students. I'm not giving them something bad. They've asked me for help. I want you to help me with this. And that's what I get to provide with my feedback. So those are characteristics, but the question is how? How do we give feedback that does this? And I love the term advisement, right? Advisement is feedback that provides information about where we go now. And for feedback to, to work, it has to be something that tells students, here's where you're going next. It has to be something that creates students as self-regulated learners, where they are able to say, this is what I need, this is what I need to learn, and here's where I'm going. And I saw actually someone already put it in the chat. There's a great uh, blog by Cult Pedagogy called Feed Forward, right? Something like moving from feedback to feed forward. But this idea that if our feedback is always focused on the mistakes they made, not where they're going next, it's not going to motivate students, right? How many of us like being reminded of our mistakes? It's not super enjoyable and it doesn't make me want to continue engaging in a dialogue with that person. So it's this idea of how do we, and I'm not saying skip over the mistakes, right? I'm not saying, don't like don't acknowledge them. we have to be critical with our with our feedback or it's going to be worthless but how do we instead of focusing on what they did wrong say here's something that i noticed here's where we're going next 
So here are some characteristics of feedback that matters. We know it has to be limited quantity. If we overwhelm students, they're going to shut down. It has to focus on trends. Right? If it's an isolated error, that might not be the best use of their time. We have to be looking for what are the errors they're making over and over and over because that identifies a learning need, not just a mistake. It has to be processed right away. If they get the feedback, they should do something with it right away. It has to be focused on goals and it has to be pointed towards new learning. Right? We don't want to just sit there and tell students that they did a bad job. We want to push them towards where they're going to go. So here's the tricky part with all that is if we're talking about specific feedback, feedback that is timely, feedback that is detailed, feedback, feedback that's advisement, and that takes a lot of time. And we don't have a lot of time right now. And so for me, the, the, the reason I started rethinking how I gave feedback is because I didn't like how this was working out. I was spending a lot of time and there was very little value. And at the end of the day, I was just tired with no results. And so I decided, you know, maybe my first step is how do I, I can't minimize the time yet, but how do I increase the value? And that was great, except the problem was I still ended up here. I was just a little bit happier about it. So my goal, and I'm going to give you a few strategies that hopefully will do this, is that I can drop the amount of time you spend providing feedback while still increasing the value. If I can do that, if I can do that, that's how I'll know that I'm successful here, right? If you can walk away and know this isn't going to overwhelm me and it's going to increase the value of the feedback, awesome. So here are a few strategies that I want to show you. And I'm going to cross my fingers that my internet can be fast enough. This, this will work. But the first way that I'm going to talk about giving feedback is through video. And part of it is because, A, when we're working remotely, we're not face-to-face -face with students. My goal is I want students to be seeing and hearing me as much as I can. I want to be building that connection, that face-to-face -face time, because written comments just don't always get the relationship piece that I love getting and sitting down and having those conferences with students. And so in a second, I'll show you how I do this with, with video, but notice some of the things that I'm saying in here and how this process works. So I'm going to play this really quick. It's probably not going to work on the first click because that's just how it goes. Oh my gosh, it worked. Nope, didn't work. I lied. There we go. <laughs> Tired of leaving comments that feel like they don't make a difference? Check this out. Using a text expander, I'm using a text here, I can build out full comments and then insert them using just an abbreviation. So here's what that looks like. I have a student who makes an error. I start to leave a comment typing in my code. When I hit S, the entire comment pops up. I save it. Now that student has a full explanation, links to more information, links to ad additional videos, another video, and even some follow-up practice to help make sure that my feedback made a difference. So that's just with any text expander. This one was a text, but any will do, and definitely saves me time and makes my commenting more effective. So that wasn't the video feedback video. Uh, when I clicked, it moved to the next one. So I guess we'll talk about this one first. So a text expander, and, and I learned about this from my friends who work in software development. Text expanders are not new, but it's this idea that if you're typing something over and over and over, you can save a shortcut for it. 
right? And, and for me, the first level, the first reason I loved it is how many times do we give the same feedback to students over and over and over, right? And, and if we don't have something like this, we're typing that every time. And every time we're typing, that's more time and more time and more time. And so the first reason I love it is it saves me time, right? It saves me time. The, the other reason that I really like it, and uh, you can kind of see it over here, is I can put links in there, right? We talked about how important it is that feedback is specific. I can not only type a full description, but I can also add links to say, hey, here's where you need to go. Right? Here's, here is a resource to engage in, the, in the, the learning that you need to do. The other thing I can do with it is so often one of the things that, that gets lost with feedback is it's one directional, right? The teacher sends feedback to the student and we hope the next time they do the assignment, they pay attention to it. But what I, what I like about this is I can actually embed some sort of formative assessment, some sort of formative check so that they have the feedback they go look at the resource and then they follow up by telling me whether or not they got it. And so I'm gonna actually, I didn't have it open because I wasn't planning on showing this, but because I saw a couple people that are like, oh my gosh, this is too much right now. If you use Google Classroom, you already have this. So hold on, let me get to Classroom and show you what I mean. Helps that I've gone here so many times it's saved. So this is an assignment that a student maybe has submitted. Over here, where you see the grading tab normally, down below, you have a comment bank. This comment bank, I can create any comment I want and notice, now this is, I don't know why this is the example I use. Oops, this should not be the example I use because it's a terrible example of feedback. When I start leaving a comment, if I type one of the keywords in my comment bank, unfortunately terrible is the key word, it pops it up and I just hit comment, right? So this is something that I know like 80% of the state uses Google Classroom. If you're using Google Classroom, this is there for you. So that's one way if you want to try to save time and use pre-made comments to add description, right? We know vague comments don't work, but this idea that if we can, if we can add a full description of the error or the full description of the explanation and point them towards future learning, right? That, to me, if feedback does that, gives a detailed description of what's going on and points them towards future learning all in the same time, awesome. Okay, so that's one strategy, right? Using a text expander for that. The other one that I meant to show you first is leaving video feedback. Now, I mentioned the goal was to increase the value without increasing the amount of time. And the first time someone talked to me about video feedback, I was super skeptical about how quickly you could do it. But for me, it takes me the same amount of time as opening a student's document and reading it. And so I wanna show you what that looks like. Let's leave some feedback on this essay. Hey there, I wanted to give you some feedback on your essay. First off, I wanna compliment you on your hook. It's really creative and really engaging. It does a good job of making me laugh and hooking me so that I wanna keep reading. So nice work there. 
There are two trends that I want to talk about that I think would be helpful for you to focus on in future writing. The first one is your transitions. This one's missing a transition here. Um, now it might work, but it also could be helpful to think a little bit more about some standard transitions that could fit here. Um, and to point it out, you use a standard transition down here, which definitely isn't bad, but it seems like you might be getting the hang of it. So I want to push you to that next level and really start thinking about using word links or idea links in your transitions to really just help it feel smooth and not formulaic. The other trend that I think would be helpful for you to consider as you move into your next pieces of writing is your use of commas where you need periods. So I noticed you have one here. In this example, you have a complete sentence that needs a period and another sentence after so that you would separate those two with a period. And the reason I'm pointing it out is because you do it again a little bit later this one's a little bit tricky because you're, um, you use that, which is actually your subject here, and that's probably why you used a comma as opposed to a period. So I would just change that. Let's put a period in there and we'll capitalize that. We'll do the same thing up here. Now I lost it, there it is. Let's change this to a period and capitalize that. Um, I do want to also compliment you on your conclusion down here. I think your last few sentences really do a good job of driving home your point exactly. So nice work on that. Hopefully those trends uh, that I talked about are something that you can work on in your future writing, but please don't forget to celebrate your successes. Watch how I get the link here. This is with Screencastify. Stop that recording. Let's go ahead and give me a link. I just take that link right there. Head on over here add a comment for them. And now they can watch it. So that was a, a two and a half minute video. And think about how much I was able to give in two and a half minutes, right? I probably would have spent at least two and a half minutes already on that piece of writing. And what I would have ended up doing is probably just a couple text comments. Right? And, and I know for me, when I get just written feedback, those short snippets of you know, the, the feedback I wanna see, I don't get the relational piece. Right? So often in there, I got to really give a detailed description of what I was seeing and what I was doing. And for me, you know, not only does it help the relationship piece, I see a couple things about showing your face, right? I love being able to have my face there so that they remember who I am, especially when we're in a remote learning situation and maybe they haven't seen me in a few days. But the big piece for me is that when I can talk through their writing with them, when I can give them this full description, I can really give a more holistic picture of what's going on in their writing, right? I can, I can talk them through how they might change it, what they have next, and all it takes is a screen recorder, which if you have your core four identified and you have an asynchronous video tool, you can do this, right? That's all it takes is being able to start a screen recording, add the link, put it in there. I had to pause and laugh because someone noticed that my feedback was a compliment sandwich. I was really hoping no one was gonna notice this because this video is from about three years ago. Nice catch on that one. Um, but, but for me, and, and actually, and I won't just say for me, but for my students, so I always survey my students to see how are things going, what's working, what's not working. Probably the, the piece I hear the most across the board, right? I really appreciate the video feedback. 
I really appreciate that added touch, getting to hear from you. You know, I, I, I get more questions coming in when this is the type of feedback I give because they see the bigger picture, they hear this full description, and now they go, okay, I have some wonderings about what you said. So this is strategy number two. First one is use a text expander. Second one, try video feedback. And I will say, don't, you don't have to do it on everything, right? I would not even recommend you do it on everything. But just try it out. Try it with one assignment to start and see how it goes. The last piece I'm gonna show, not that one, because we already watched that one, is I know those two examples were very like text dependent resources, but I wanna show you a way that I use Google Forms and it doesn't have to be Google Forms. But the key with this is that as students are checking their understanding, the instant they get something wrong, they get new, new, new learning. The instant I notice something that they need to learn, they get it right away. So I'm gonna show this video here. Today I'm going to show you how to use Google Forms Go to Section feature to create differentiated instruction in your classroom. The end result is an assessment where students will answer questions and if they answer incorrectly it will take them to review materials and follow-up assessment and if they answer correctly it will allow them to skip ahead to the next question. Begin by creating a Google Form. Add in all of the important information you need to gather, like email, name, date, and class period. And once you have that set up, click on this button down here. It is the Add Section button. It looks kind of like an equal sign. And that will create a section where you will add your first question. So you can title it, and then build your question, and add answers. Don't worry about this part now, we'll come back to that in a second. Once you have that question set up, go ahead and click Add Section again. In this section is where you'll add your review materials for the previous question. So if students answer incorrectly, it will take them here. In this section, I like to add videos, but you can also add links to other resources so that students can relearn the material if they don't fully understand it. And then add a question to verify that they did relearn the material. This question could be the same as the previous question, or it could be a new question based on the same content. Once you have your review section done, you can create another section. That will allow you to create your next question. You'll want to continue with this pattern all the way down until you are done with the activity. To use the Go To section feature, you want to click on the three dots down here. Once you open that up, you'll see Go to Section Based on Answer. Select that and you'll see these drop-down options pop up in your question. You'll notice there are three that say Continue to Next Section. Those three are the incorrect answers, and if they select those, it will take them to the Review section. The correct answer says Go to Section 4, which will allow them to skip ahead, uh, pass the review to the next question. Here's what it looks like on the student end. So when I'm here, after I put in my information on my first question, if I get it correct, it allows me to skip ahead, past the review section, to the next question. However, if I get it incorrect, it takes me to the review materials, where I can view the video, access the web resources, or whatever review you've embedded here for the students. 
once I've reviewed the materials, I can go to this question and attempt to verify that I now understand the material. So the idea behind it is how often do we let students sit with their mistakes and they just kind of have to sit with it right, for a week until they get feedback and then they realize they need to learn something. And so my goal with this, and, and I will say like what always comes up when I show this is, isn't that a lot of work to set up? Right? And my answer is yes, but isn't the value behind it so much? And when I think about, you know, now instead of the student gets it wrong and I have to go find the individual video that meets that student's needs and teach it to them and send it to them, like, it's so nice to have it all in one spot that as soon as they get it wrong, they go and do more learning, right? Because what else is feedback for if that's not the goal? When there's something you need to learn, I'm going to help you learn it. That's feedback. So, those are really, for me, the three things that have been game changers for me with my feedback, right? The text expander or using Google Classroom's comment bank or whatever it is, some way to save codes, to save comments that have complete descriptions and links to future learning. Using video feedback so I get to really engage with the students writing and they get to see me engage with that and I get to model my thinking out loud. And then for me, it was Google Forms. I saw a couple other different ways you could do it, but some idea that if I'm going to do a formative assessment, how quickly can I give student that next resource to push their learning? Whatever it is. So as we're coming towards the end of the hour, here's a, a, my, kind of my final thought. When it comes to feedback, when it comes to how we're using feedback in the classroom, are we helping them celebrate their potential or reminding them of their mistakes. Because those are two very different pieces or ways of approaching feedback. Are we having them look backwards at what we did wrong? Or are we having them look forwards at what they could do? And for me, the, the story that cements this the most is this picture. Uh, this, this class will always be near and dear to my heart. The story behind this class is in August, I was teaching down in Oregon and in August, I got a phone call from my principal that said, hey, uh, we're giving you a new class, right? I'm sure we've all gotten the August phone call that says everything is changing, surprise, surprise. So I get the phone call that says, you're getting a new class. I'm like, great, cool, what is it? And they're like, well, it's a group of 14 kids. They've never passed English before. They typically don't come to school. They didn't pass their SBA test at all. They generally hate English and we're so excited to give you all of them in one class. Right? And this was early on in my career. And so I, I, I screwed up, right? I was giving them drill and kill. I was giving them feedback on everything they weren't doing right. And that's how I started and it was miserable for everybody. And then I, I one student sarcastically, when I said, this isn't working, what should we do? Sarcastically said, let's write a book. So I said, sure, we're doing it. And so down below you see the books that these students wrote and the publishing day that one of our publishing days, that's the picture on the top is the kids holding their books. And here's why this worked. It's because I rethought how I was giving feedback. It's because feedback stopped being something where I made the, the page bleed. It stopped being something where I got to show off how much I knew and I pointed out how little they knew. Feedback became something where I said, how can I help you? Right? I want you to tell me where, where you need to go next. I want you to tell me how I can help you learn. And when they tell me that, then I give them that. Because for me, that's when feedback really matters. And that's where we see motivation come from, right? When students know that the teacher's in this for me, the teacher is focused on my learning. I'm able to have some autonomy and choose what I want feedback on. 
we can see incredible things happen. And so I told you early on, my goal as a teacher, as an instructional coach in whatever role is to open doors. And I really want us to think about feedback that way, right? Is feedback the open door that points them towards their potential? Or is it the closed door that tells them what they can't do? So again, we're here at 5 p.m. Probably the week school is starting for all of us. I can't say thank you enough for being here. I can't say thank you enough for preparing for another incredible year with our kids, no matter how different it might feel. I have so much respect for all of you. Please, I would love to stay in touch. Um, any, anything you need, anything, if, if there are resources that would be helpful, feel free to reach out to me and I will get you what I can. We will publish the slide deck, I believe, so that you can see some of the videos and, and resources linked in there. But I'm gonna stop sharing my screen so I can see you. Oh, I forgot we're in a webinar. All I see, all I see is <laughs> Jeff try, now. I, no, it was good try. I know. Um, it's, it's the worst part of a webinar is you can't see anybody's faces. Um, hey, would you mind while we're kind of talking here and transitioning, could you just share the publish link to yours in the chat real quick? Yep. The published web link and that way people can grab that if they want to leave. Hey, we're going to be sticking around for another half hour answering questions. Um, and if you're like me, it's never enough time with Tyler Rablin. Uh, talking about assessment. I feel like I want to go. I don't even have students and I want to go make your grade book. Like I want to go and just like make a grade book right now. Um, it's so, so good. I could listen to you forever, my friend. Uh, so inspiring and just really makes us stop and think about how we're doing this. As Tyler is dropping that link, there it is. Thank you, Tyler. There's the published uh, slide deck. You'll find the videos and everything else in there. Everything will be posted. This is being recorded. It'll be posted on our website, shiftingschools.com and reimagine while ed. You'll go there. You can find it underneath the webinar section. And we also turn this into a podcast. So if you're a podcast listener, you can subscribe to shifting our schools and get all of our webinars in a podcast. So you can listen in your car, replay this. Somebody said they wanted their whole ELA, uh, department to listen to this. So, you know, you can just slip them the podcast link. They have no idea it's coming. So uh, thank you, Tyler, for taking time. Um, we're probably going to need to go back into your slide decks. We got a lot of questions, especially about your grade book. And so I uh -huh. think that's where we're going to start with some of our questions. Um, the one of the questions that kept coming up and it came up a couple of times in the chat as well. Do you have your own grade book separate from your school, the one your school uses? So for example, a lot of us use I don't know, Power School or Skyward or, you know, name any one of those ugly programs. Do you use, so two questions. Do you have a separate grade book like you were showing that you keep separate from that in Google Sheets or something like that? And then even more powerful question, which I think you answered in Reimagine or in uh, your first webinar, but I think it's worth here, is how do you take these numbers of twos and threes and fours and turn them into an ABC? I think those are two big questions to get us started. Yeah, so to, to respond to the first one, um, I have traditionally for a while now kept my own separate grade book. And, and then I have, it has changed over time how I do it, but I do then transfer that information into this, the, the school's Skyward grade book. Yeah, yeah. And, and for me, you know, if, if I found a grade book that allowed me to record student learning and see trends in growth and have control over the final grade and how it's determined, I would probably go with it, but I haven't. Um, so I do keep a separate one. I have a way of sending out reports to students. 
So with my separate gradebook, um, I use a tool called AutoCrat, which if you want to dig into something that's totally mind blowing, um, AutoCrat allows me to take information from my spreadsheet and put it onto a template and send that data to specific students. And so I do that and I give that to students and parents and that is that's the, the kind of the data and how the student tracks their own learning. And then I do take information from my spreadsheet and put it in the gradebook because like I get that there are needs of the system that have to be met, right? We have to know which students need additional supports and, and putting that in that gradebook is necessary. Um, and so I just figure out like, what's the fairest representation I can put in the, in the school's gradebook to really represent which students need support, which students are doing great, like, um, but, for me, this, the, my separate grade book is, that's, that's how I run the learning in my classroom. And then the school's grade book is how I record it for whoever needs it. Yeah, and I think, you know, this isn't, again, you're gonna get sick and tired of me saying this all the time, but do we have an opportunity this year? And I think one of the things we have to remember is all of those gradebook programs, right? Whether it's Skyward or one built into Schoology or one built into Google Classroom, we have to remember these are not built by educators. They're built by data people and company who only remember the gradebook we grew up with. And so we constantly are getting gradebooks that don't match the latest ideas and trends in grading and feedback. And so are you going to need a separate gradebook? Simple answer, yes. If you wanna grade this way, you're gonna to have, to, to have to set it up some other place. But I think I love some of the examples that you showed, some of the templates, they're not difficult. You can do this in an Excel spreadsheet. You can do this in Google Sheets. You can use a powerful program like AutoCrat and make it do some work for you. Is it some work to set up? Absolutely. Is it better for kids? That's the question, right? Is it worth it? Is it worth the work? So yeah, I, I, I mean, I hate those programs. And I hate those programs because they're never going to go this way until we get enough of us who are saying that doesn't work. That is not research-based grading we're not gonna see those programs change. And so we're going, to have to, we're going to have to rely on our own grade books for a while and figure out how to get those over. Tyler goes in more into how he comes up with this evidence-based grading, which I love. Uh, you know, it's really hard for any administrator or parent to come back to you and say, hey, how did my kid get a B? When you have evidence of growth, evidence of trials and attempts, if you want to go back and watch his first webinar, he goes into deep into that. And that's over at our link there. I think Chrissy put it in. Thank you, Chrissy. Put it in over at our Shifting Schools website as well. Um, I love this one. This is, a, this is a good one. How can you grade a paper but not, quote, bleed on it if I want to check the work and figure out what they have done right or wrong for my own knowledge and condense down? So what are some other features? And I think you showed a couple. I love video feedback. We talked about the kids love video feedback as one way to not red mark it up. One of my favorite comments in the chat was pretending that blue and black eat was better than red ink. That was my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> change the color of ink and kid will take the feedback. Then. But any other ways, like what does that look like for you? How, you know, some ways that, how do we keep from bleeding all over the paper? So I, I think for me, part of the reason that I would record all the mistakes on the paper was, was actually for my own mental tracking, right? It was, it's really hard to see trends if you don't have some way of seeing, like if I'm not marking every time there's a fragment or a comma splice or, you know, whatever, it, it's, it's hard to figure out that trend. So what I actually started doing is typically when I sit down with, you know, a, a stack of student work, I identify a few of the things I'm going to look for and I have a separate 
I'm, I've just realized I put my hand down here and you can't see it. I have a separate table that sits next to me, like a piece of paper. And as I'm reading the student work the first time, every time I'm seeing a mistake, I track it, right? I, so, so I'm still marking it and recording it for myself. It's not necessarily on the paper. And then it, after I've read it, I leave a, a lot of times I'll leave a comment on the bottom or somewhere where I say, hey, as I was reading, here's the trend I'm noticing, or I noticed. Um, so fine, if, you know, if, there, if, if you are used to marking all the mistakes on the paper, a, a good place to start is how can you still keep track of that without necessarily telling the student, here's all the mistakes that I caught in your paper, because that's just totally demoralizing when you're learning to write and someone's like, wrong, 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 wrong. So where can we mark those mistakes without necessarily impacting student motivation? I love that. I love that. Um, Another question, and this just came up in the chat, and I thought it was a good one. We talk a lot about assessing the process, not the product. What are some ways that you have, some strategies you have for assessing the process and not the product of learning? So probably one of my favorite ways to do it. So we talked about video feedback, especially if you're using a tool like Screencastify and students have the ability to record a screencast. I, that to me is the best way for me to get inside their head, which when we talk about assessing the process of learning, that's what I want to know. I don't necessarily, the product is great, but I, I would, you know, I love hearing, hey, tell me about your learning through this. And so I, I think I have a couple examples that I might be able to put in the slide deck when we share it, where I have my students, when they submit a draft to me, they record a screencast and they say, so, you know, we're working on rhetorical devices here. I tried to put one here because blah, blah, blah. But just being able to see the thinking behind the product, right? A lot of times we see the product, we have no idea about the thinking behind it. So how do we open up something where they can say, this was how I, this is why I did it. This is how I did it. This is what I was thinking. I love that. I love that. Uh, Jennifer uh, Taylor had a question. How do you create badges? And maybe other people, if you use a badging system, maybe you can drop it into a chat. Do you use a badging system? I know there's a couple of like online ones that you can use, um, or you talked about badges a little bit. Uh, and how, how did you set up that system? Was it just a system you created in the classroom or did you use a website? Yeah, so when I started using badges, I didn't know any websites existed. So like I, set it up through a bunch of like Google scripts and Google add-ons that if they got hundred percent on the form, it would just send it to their email. So that's one way that I did it. The other way, if you're looking for a super simple way to start, um, if you make trying to, let me explain this as clearly as I can, just a slide. So just think like one slide with a chart on it and you know, you assign it to students. So they all have their own copy. And then you can create your own little badge or find a badge or whatever. And whatever badge it is, when a student earns it, copy and paste and put it just right in their slide so that they have, it's almost like uh, like scouts, like they've got their badges listed out on something. Um, so if, if you know, I, I know we all have a ton of stuff that is being thrown at us. If learning a new platform is not something that you're ready for, um, think about how can you do this simply, right? Like make yeah. a document, make a slide that you can just put that badge on there, copy and yeah. paste the image. And Amber, uh, Amber Taylor over in the chat just mentioned that this is built into Seesaw and we see a lot of badging, especially in the elementary, but I think you're right. Badging can work at all levels. I even love, and we've been talking about this, if your school allows digital backgrounds, right? This is a bulletin board. 
this is a digital bulletin board behind me. How are you using that? And how could kids use that? I mean, could you make something like Tyler is talking about and then the kids get to download a slide? Like I'm just thinking Google Slides, but PowerPoint does the same thing. You can download that slide as an image and every one of my kiddos could be displaying their badges, you know, and that they got behind them. I think that might be kind of fun. Um, so there's just some interesting ways. Uh, yes, be careful about extrinsic rewards, but there are some ways and there are ways that we are looking at um, being able to, to use some of this stuff. So there, there are ways to do it um, when you do it correctly. Um, any ideas on how to create a mastery grade book with the restrictions of a task grade book? And I think we kind of answered that again in this idea of like, you're probably gonna have to come up with your own for the time being if you're stuck into a task-based grade book. But any other ways that you have seen people take like something like, and I'll use Skyward because a lot of people use Skyward, but anything like Skyward and have you seen a ways to manipulate it in a way to make it more mastery based? Yeah, so what I actually have done for a while is I, I have a category just called standards and then the assignment, the task, the way that I put it in there is whatever the standard is, that's one task. And if it's a rubric out of five points or out of four points, it's an assignment out of four points. Like and at that. the end of the term, I approach it as just an assignment um, where I can say, you know, I'm, I'm looking at the data and I do want to get back to someone asked how I calculate the final grade. I do want to get back to that because I know that's a tricky one, but um, yeah. So at the end of the term, if a student has a proficient, a three out of four, I have an assignment that's out of four and they have a three out of four in there and you know, play with it. I don't know all your weighting and how your school approaches proficiency and what percent that means, but um, that's, that's the way that I've kind of gotten around it. Just make an assignment that's for the standard and whatever they're learning is record that score for the assignment. I love that. Um, the, the question about how I calculate it yeah. and, and this will make people a little uncomfortable, but so I use, typically I use the mode as my primary, my starting place. So I'm looking for what's the most common score, but then, and I think this is a term we have to get comfortable with. I use my professional judgment. Right. If a student had three twos at the beginning of the term and then they got like by the end, they had two fives or two fours, whatever your scale is, it's going to say they got a two. But for me, I'm looking at it. I know the story of that student's learning and I can look and say which one accurately represents. And, and this goes into the first webinar. But if the point of a grade is a current representation of their learning, you have to constantly ask what score accurately represents their current level of understanding. So. Um, and and the, the way that I think about it is, can I defend, right? Can I defend the score the student got? And for me, when I'm looking at it, if they had three twos and then they've got higher scores later, I can clearly say they grew, they learned. Like this is an accurate representation of what they know now. And I love that. And I think in the first webinar, you even talked about like, <laughs> no matter what grade we assign kids, we're still using professional judgment. Let's just call it what it is, right? But I love your idea. I love just the way that you phrase that. And I'm not gonna say it right now, but what is the grade that best shows the learning of the student? Or you said something like that. And I think that is such a different question on, this is a grade that shows whether or not the child completed work, right? And we're like the one example you had, the two zeros, all of a sudden it dropped this kid down to 55. You know, that is, that is a, that's a work completion grade, not a, does the child know the work, right? Is learning. And I think that's so important. And if you can defend it, I love that, right? Can I defend the grade by a growth and learning? And when you have evidence, again, I know I'm going to 
beat a dead horse here, but you got video evidence of this kid learning, of this kid growing. You've got evidence of you giving feedback. That is evidence that I don't think any parent or administrator can come back to you on and say, how did this kid get a B? And you can say, well, here's the evidence, right? It's evidence-based grading. It's so powerful when we actually do it right. I love it. Thank you. Um, again, you are going to want to go back and watch the first webinar if you missed it. You're probably going to watch this one three times anyways, because my head hurts every time that I'm sitting here with him. Uh, it's just incredible. Uh, what does the teacher's response page look like on your Google form? Can we see which students were directed to review questions? And then the, another question was, when you're creating that Google form, is there a feedback loop for every question? So when you create a section, that is you get the answer wrong, you're going to go to this, right? You get the answer wrong, you go to this section where there's instant feedback and in there, a way for you to watch a video or extra practice. Do you make one of those for every question or does it depend on the type of questions or? If, if I'm doing something like this, normally I do, a, it's a really short formative check, right? Yeah. It's, it's, and, and the limitation of it, the reason that I, it's, it's a part of my assessment toolkit is because it relies on multiple choice questions, right? So you know, that's not going to get the most, valid response or you know it's not someone might guess and still you know move on but so i'll do like only four or five questions and i do create that loop for each one on my side i do get to see so when you open if you use google forms or really anywhere any form, any form there's going to be a spreadsheet and there's a column for each question and so if it's, if the first column everybody's answering that question so there will be something there if the second column has something in it, that tells me the student had to go do that review section and answer that question. So I am able to see which students needed the review, which ones didn't, which, you know, when we talk about building small groups or, you know, providing intervention, that's one way that I'm able to see this student struggled, I need to check in with them, or this group might need me to check in with them. And I think the other thing that's really important is when you're building a form like that, you don't need 30 questions. You only need three or four. Right? We can give quicker feedback if it's smaller and tight and we're focused on one standard, one type of learning. I don't need 30 different questions. This idea that you had to do every odd question in the book, right? We have to be thinking differently about how we're taking advantage of some of this stuff. Um, so I love that. Yeah. It, you know, and, and you're right. So you got to create it. You're going to create a section, but you're only creating three. We're not creating 30, you know, keep mm -hmm. them short, keep them tight. Um, I love that. Ooh, great question. If we want to explore assessment or feedback further, what do you recommend? I, I know. Where, like, where would you start? If, if I were to give you a, one book, and I know a book is a big place to start, but uh, Grading Smarter, Not Harder by Myron Dweck um, is, is the book that, that really helped me cement meaningful feedback and assessment in my practice. I'd read a ton of books that were like the top 10,000 foot level, right? Where it's, it's just so theoretical, so big picture that it's hard to figure out how to do it in your classroom. He's, I believe he's a middle, middle school science teacher. Or he, he was when he wrote it. And so everything he does is here's how I did it. Like, here's the idea. Here's how I did it in my classroom. Hmm. For me, if, if you could read, and it's not a long book, it's not a hard read. Like he write, he's a great writer. If you can read one book, about assessment, read that one. Mm. That, it's phenomenal. And we have a lot of, we've had a couple of people ask, you know, this is all great, Tyler, but how do I do this when I have 120 kids or 150 kids? You know, I'm thinking middle school, high school teachers who, you know, have four or five, six class periods of 30 kids a piece. 
Um, what, what's your recommendation for that? So, and, and I will say like right now I recognize I teach one class, all of these strategies that I talked about are things that I started when I taught a full load of, and my first teaching job, I had seven classes, right? And there were like 30 kids in each class. It was nuts. And that's where, I think that's where I really started trying to figure out how do I do this more efficiently and provide more value to students. So um, the, the other thing I would say with the video feedback is it could be helpful instead of recording it for individual students uh, and actually Trisha mentioned this yesterday during our office hours to, to give whole class feedback, right? So not only looking for trends in the individual students work, but looking for trends across the board so that you can provide feedback to the group that way, right? And, and that's where we're talking like, if you're able to use small groups, if your schedule allows you to have some small group time, even in the fall, that's a great time to be able to provide that feedback to note these students all struggled with this idea give feedback to them all at the same time, save yourself that work. And, and the other thing I'll say, I mean, I said it on the video feedback, don't do it for everything. Yeah. Right? Like I think the best advice I, some of the only good advice I felt like I got from my teacher prep program sometimes was don't grade everything, right? Don't give feedback on everything, find ways. And, and it, I didn't get into it a ton here. I got into it more in the last one, but teach students how to assess their own work. And I, and, I intentionally say teach them how to assess their own work because we know as humans, we overinflate our level of understanding always if we're just doing it randomly, but really talking them through what data do you have that supports where you're at in your learning, right? Helping students kind of look at it through that lens and give themselves feedback. Or um, I know it's tricky remotely. There's ways that they can still give each other feedback, right? But the teacher, if we're truly talking student ownership, the, the teacher shouldn't always be the only one providing feedback. We should teach students and give them clear criteria and clear resources and exemplars so that they can give each other and themselves meaningful feedback. Yeah. And the other thing I'll just say is, you know, again, and again, you're going to hear me say this over and over. We have an opportunity right now to figure out new systems. When you were a first year teacher and you were trying to give feedback to 150 kids, it probably took you a really long time. And then over time, you get, we get better at our feedback loops. And I think the same thing is going to happen. We have an opportunity here to think different about feedback. Just for the example, you know, an example of giving video feedback. Your video feedback doesn't need to be five minutes per kid. I've, I've seen teachers get that down to like, it's 30 seconds. It's a quick video of like, hey, Tyler, how you doing? Hey, man, thanks so great for bringing this in. Paragraph one looks great. Here are some ideas I'm looking at in paragraph two. I'm wondering about, can't wait to see your edits and you're out, right? Like there's ways to, or using your text expander, like that is actually going to save you time. Is there some, your new learning up front? Yes, there's some new learning upset to set up a new system. It's all about creating a system. And the thing we have is right now, you know, you've been teaching for 20 some years, you've got a system down. Your system worked really good when kids were in front of you and all of a sudden you don't. And we've got to build new systems. And what an opportunity we have to take some time to build a new system because we're in a new place. And I just love that. I, I love, give yourself some grace, progress over perfection. Let's do this. Let's do something, right? Feel fast, feel loud. Tell us how it goes. I would like to know about gamification type websites that give feedback like quizzes or Kahoot. Do you have, does research say anything about this on computer versus person? I don't know. I'll let you think about it for a second. My, my feeling about those, I think they are fun. I see that kids enjoy them. 
I don't, I would never use one as a true way to gauge what students know. Um, I see them as building a lot of community. Uh, we, we've been, if you've been going through the Reimagine program, we've played a couple that have been fun around Washington State history. They're a great lighthearted way. Now, can they be about content? Absolutely. Would I use it as maybe a dipstick of where kind of, you know, just a dipstick test of where's my class? Absolutely. I would never put one of those things in the grade book. That's just me. That's me. Um, but I would use it as a way of just is where's my class and not individual kids. And that's me, Tyler. I don't know if you have a, other recommendations. I think for me, a lot of those, those game-based sites for formative assessment, the true value in them. So I mentioned talking about self-assessment is asking the question, like what data do you have to, to tell you where you're at? For me, that's where a lot of those game-based platforms can be valuable. Take this and then let's jump right into a reflection. Right? It's not necessarily, I want to see, I, you know, I want to see accurately how you're doing. That's going in the grade book. This is a test. But this idea that it's, it's a sounding board, right? It is feedback. When they go and they look and they see this is, this is an area I'm struggling with, have them engage in some sort of reflection after it and, and really identify. It's not just I got 12 out of 16, but have them identify the four questions I missed all had to do with blank. And now they know that's where I need to learn next. So, so really, the, I think the value in those games isn't the game. It's the reflection and the discussion that can result afterwards. And so for me, that's how I try to use them as often as I can. It, it is nice. It is a dipstick, like Jeff said. Like it's a chance for me to see really quickly, are there things we're struggling with? But for students, the value comes from do it. Now reflect on how that went. Hmm. I love that. Um, I'm just kind of going through the questions here. A lot of these were du duplicates that we've answered a couple times. This is a, this is one, and we've kind of we've talked on this. And I know this is a this is a pinch point for us right now. Um, but the question again is about how do I change the way I'm assessing and grading if my principal district tell me I need to use something like Skyward and give grades and keep track of assignments? Their expectations don't support me assessing differently. How do I change? How do I know what needs to be done? And I think you talked about that, the way you can use categories differently, the way an assignment doesn't have to be the task. I think there's some ways you can set it up inside those grade books. Um, and the, the, the reason why those are such hard is because it's a very unique based on every grade book system. Mm -hmm. um, but I, you know, I think somebody even wrote in the chat that they, they, they use a grade book system that way. And when they put in the new grade that's higher, they just delete the old grade so it doesn't weigh it. And I'm like, that's genius, right? That's, that's an amazing. Like, you've improved. Your old one falls off, right? I, I like that idea. It makes, it's like playing Tetris. You, you complete a road, the other road disappears. Like, you're just done. <laughs> and you're back down to zero, right? Um, yeah. yeah. I, okay. I think the, the, something that's been helpful for me, and I, you know, I feel pretty fortunate for the most part in my career, I've had really supportive administrators. Um, and, but what's been really helpful for me is when I'm wanting to change something around assessment or around grading is coming in with a really strong vision of, of what a grade means to you, right? Start there. And, and so for me, when I say a grade is an accurate representation of a student's current levels of learning, right? Like that is my definition of why I grade students. And then you can go in and you can say, you, you can, ask questions, right? If you're supposed to do something that goes against that purpose of a grade, ask questions. Um, the other thing that has been helpful for me, you know, I, I know a lot of schools have rules like you have to put a grade in every week or you have to put a grade in every day or whatever it is. Ask the question why behind it. And I'm not, you know, 
I don't want you to sound like you're don't want you to get in trouble. Yeah, yeah, don't get in trouble. <laughs> but but for me, what I found when I asked the question and truly genuinely seeking to understand, it's a lot of times it's well, we need this to know a student's engaged, right? Or or we need it to know uh, whether or not a student's on track and completing work. But for me, when I ask that question and figure out the purpose behind the rule then I can find some way to do that, right? To meet that purpose. If they need to know, is a student completing their work? And that's why they want me to put grades in. Well, I can make a category that's 0.5% and have every assignment in there out of one, right? And that meets the needs of tracking, is a student on task? Is they, are they doing their work, right? But I can still meet the needs of the system without compromising my purpose of grading. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Um, another one over in the chat. Can Tyler talk about the role of exemplars? Do you use a lot of exemplars? I, so I saw a really good, uh, Janelle, I saw asked the question a little bit with more detail earlier, but I, I agree that exemplars sometimes become a ceiling or, or yeah. not even a ceiling. Exemplars become the path. Exactly. Right? Like, this is what I'm going to make. So for me, I show, what has been really helpful is I show numerous exemplars that all are different, right? So like if, if instead of saying, hey, if you're gonna write a persuasive piece or create a persuasive piece of communication, I'm not gonna show one essay. I'm gonna show a number of different ideas. I'm gonna show an essay, I'm gonna show a podcast and I'm gonna show a video. And then we're gonna talk about what did they do in it? And then the key for me and this sounds mean, but after we've had really deep, meaningful conversations around a text, I take the texts away before they write. Because otherwise they have the exemplar and they're writing and they're just gonna go, the first sentence sounds like this, I'm gonna write a sentence that sounds <laughs> like that. The second, I'm gonna, and it becomes their, their formula. And I, I hate formulas, right? I don't like formulaic writing. I like, write, like writers, I like thinkers. And I, so I, I love using them for good discussions, vary the different exemplars you're showing take them away and let them use that information without having a script or a formula. Yeah. How do you apply the information that you've learned? And I think we talk about that. You know, we talk about one of the things, one of the principles behind the, the learning theory connectivism, which a lot of this that we're building on uh, is the connectivism learning theory is one of those principles is how do you tie information nodes together? Like how do you bring in different nodes of information to your point? Watch a podcast, watch a video, read a couple articles. Now take those away and how, what did you notice? What did you see? How do you apply that new learning in a new way in a new format? Um, and, and be thinking about what are ways that you can do that, right? I've been talking about with schools is one of the things we can look at and I think it works across grade levels and it works across uh, disciplines is the idea that the internet is not very good at comparing and contrasting. So being able to give students in an English setting two different texts, right? You can go find the text, but what Google, you can't ask Google, can you compare this video to this, you know, piece of writing and give me an essay, please? Like Google won't do that. That's what the brain has to do. So anytime we can give kids the opportunity and you start thinking about ownership, I need you to watch one of these two videos. I need you to read one of these two articles. And now you've got multiple kids reading multiple things because they've chosen different things. And then write a paper or show me your learning or tell me why these two things are similar and different that that you can't that's really hard to cheat on the internet and so anytime you can set up this idea where we're comparing and contrasting things you you are helping and supporting kids to, to a think that's how neural networks grow but at the same time 
it's, it's really hard to cheat compare and contrast type questions, you know? So to so be thinking about, about ways that you do that. Well, and, and to build on that front with exemplars too, you know, I talked about exemplars on the front end, but we're talking about feedback. That's one of the things that I have found valuable in providing feedback for students is here's something that you're struggling with. Here's, you know, I want you to look at your writing and look at this piece of writing and compare them, right? What are you noticing? Where are the differences? What are the things that, that you could revise in your writing to mimic some of the style or some of the techniques or things like that? But exemplars can be helpful on the back end as well to help students contextualize the feedback that they're getting. I love that, yeah, I love that. Well, thank you so much. Tyler, it is always such a pleasure. Um, thank you for your time. Thank you for spending an extra half hour with us. Thanks I really appreciate me. it. And if you want more with Tyler in more of a Zoom meeting format, we've got it coming up for you. Thursday at five o'clock, if you are part of the Reimagine cohorts now in August or any Reimagine cohort, if you're part of any of the Reimagine stuff, uh, Thursday at five o'clock, we have feedback and assessment with Tyler and Steve and myself. For a half hour, we're going to be talking more about this. It's a drop-in, there's not a presentation. You're gonna come in with your questions that we didn't get answered tonight. If you can do that, uh, we are there for you. We are here to support you any way we can. Uh, it looks like Wednesday, is that tomorrow? Wednesday, yeah. Tyler's doing it again on Wednesday at 4.30 to five o'clock. So you've got other times, Jeez. Tyler's a busy man. Um, so just know there's other times. So, if, you know, if you're part of the reimagine, look at your week four uh, slide deck that we put together, your pathway that we put together for you, and you will see those on slide 14 on when we can interact. I'm so excited. I'm looking forward to spending some half hour sessions with people if you can join us tomorrow as well. This is being recorded. The recording will uh, be up usually about 24 hours or so. Chrissy, who has been here, she's our wingman over on the website. We'll get this up on YouTube. It will be on YouTube. It'll be linked on the Shifting Schools website, the reimagine website. And in two weeks time, it'll be out on the Shifting Our Schools podcast. So many different ways that you can go back, share this with your colleagues. Tyler, my friend, I tell you, this is incredible stuff. I love, I love your message. I love your presentations. Uh, they're so good. Uh, the presentation was shared in the link. Hopefully you got that. And again, it'll be shared out wider as well. So thank you, everyone. Have a great night. And until next time, we'll see you on the network. Thanks, everybody. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Shifting Our Schools with your host, Jeff Udick. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit sospodcast.org, facebook.com slash Jeff Udick, and on Twitter at judick. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave a review and subscribe, and we'll catch you next time on Shifting Our Schools.